0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Her Head in Films. I'm Caitlin, and I'm your host. On this podcast, I share my personal thoughts and feelings about the films I watch, mainly Art House and World Cinema. What makes this podcast unique is that I weave together my life experiences with an in depth discussion of films. I explore the impact that cinema has on me and why I connect so deeply to it. As I like to say, my head isn't in the clouds, my head is in films. Last week I had a cold and I wasn't able to bring you a new episode, but I'm back this week and I'm feeling better, feeling back to normal, thankfully, and so I'm talking about Joanna Hogg's 2007 film, Unrelated. This is part of a series that I am doing about debut feature films by women directors. I love this film. I had to talk about it. I saw it probably over a year ago, and ever since then, it has stayed with me. It's a subtle film, but there's so much nuance and there's so much depth to it, and I'm excited to bring you a fuller discussion of this film that I think, even though it won awards, I still think it's sort of unappreciated or sort of unknown in the mainstream, really. So I hope that you will stick around and that you will listen to the episode and that you will find some value in it. Her Head in Films has a Patreon where you can financially support the podcast on a monthly basis and also access rewards and extras. You can find more information at patreon.com slash Films. At one level, you get a shout out on each episode. So I'd like to give a shout out to my amazing patrons, Spunden, Paulina, Olivia, Carolyn, Jesse, Feminist Overlord, Michelle, and Lindsay. Thank you all so much. I appreciate you and you make this podcast possible. If financial support isn't an option, consider reviewing the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, It helps it get better placement, helps people discover it, especially on iTunes. So if you have a few moments and you're willing to do that, I would greatly appreciate it um and you could also tell your friends and followers about the podcast. I really would appreciate that so much. I really am so excited to talk about this film. I have a very long <laughs> list of films that I want to cover on the podcast. It's a list that I keep adding to. Um And Unrelated has been on that list for months and months and I thought that this was really the perfect time to talk about it because I am beginning this series that I'm doing about debut feature films by women and I wanted to start with Unrelated because it's dear to my heart, it's a film that I love, it's a film that I want more people to know about and I'm excited and thrilled to be able to talk about it and to go deeper into the film. Um, another exciting thing about this film was the way that I got to watch it, which was through a site called voodoo.com. It's V U D U dot com. And they have this section on there where there's free films. It's called Movies on Us. And you can watch the films for free. Um, you just have to uh see commercials. They do have some ads in them. But you know, most of the films are terrible. I will be honest. They're sort of mainstream schlock um that nobody would want to watch. But every now and then they get some foreign films, they get some art house films. They re um they replenish them and change them every month. So every month I check. And for a while now, they've had this film unrelated. They have other Joanna Hogg films available for free right now as I'm recording this episode. I'm not paid to tell you about Voodoo. It's just a website that I use because I like to see free films when I can. (laughs) And um, it's just a really nice thing that I discovered. They have all of her feature films on there for free right now. So I've been able to see Unrelated and Archipelago, which was her second film after Unrelated. I haven't watched Exhibition yet, but I am interested in it. So um, Joanna Hogg is a British filmmaker. She was born in 1960. So far in her career, she's made three feature films, Unrelated, Archipelago, and Exhibition. She actually started with photography early in her life, and then she went into television, and then she finally made her debut film in 2007. Unrelated is her debut feature film, and it was shot in Tuscany. Now, her first film... um was a short film and she actually made it with a super eight camera that was given to her by Derek Jarman, which he's this very famous and well-respected, uh, now departed, uh, avant-garde filmmaker. And he gave her the super eight camera and that film starred Tilda Swinton, um, before Tilda was famous. Um, so it's really sort of fascinating. I haven't seen, uh, that film, but, um, So it's just interesting to think about sort of how her film career started. I mean, she made that short film in the late 80s. And then she didn't even do her debut feature film until 2007. You know, as I talk about these films about women, it is impossible not to talk about the obstacles that are in the way of women filmmakers and how much harder it is for them to get their films made, not just to get that debut feature film made, but to get the second film made and the third film made. I mean, we have so many directors um, who seem to make a film every year or a film every other year, these male directors. And then female directors, you're lucky if they make a film per decade sometimes. We can only hope that that is changing. But um, so Unrelated was Hogg's big break. You know, it really put her on the map. It won all kinds of awards upon its release. And Hogg garnered comparisons to Eric Romay, Yasujiro Ozu. I would also liken her a bit to Michelangelo Antonioni, who I have featured on this podcast when I talked about his... Film La Ventura, which is one of my favorite films ever. Um, I would compare her with Antonioni because of sort of her focus on the bourgeois. um, You know, the sort of the richer people of society, especially British society. Um, She certainly does focus on that group of people, which maybe could be a critique. But I I really like her cinema. Um, I particularly like Unrelated. Archipelago, I didn't quite get into as much, but Unrelated has just been, um, I just love it. I've really fallen in love with this film and watching it for a second time so that I could talk about it on the podcast. You know, I love, I, sometimes I love rewatching films. Sometimes I don't. It, I'm kind of like that with books. Like I read it once and then I move on, you know, because there's so much in the world that I want to read and watch and experience and so, I sometimes don't want to revisit things because I want to discover new things, but this podcast has been an opportunity for me to reevaluate certain films to go back and re-watch them and that has been a really positive experience for the most part, and there are things that you see on that second viewing or that third viewing that you didn't see the first time and you see the way the different elements are interacting with each other and the different connections between characters or scenes or images. And so I find that it can be an enriching experience. So unrelated, if you haven't seen it, um, there will be spoilers in this review. I'm going to talk about it. And it's really important with this film that you know there is a big scene in this film that comes near the end of it. And if you listen to this review without seeing the film, that will be ruined for you. So, if you want to watch the film on Voodoo.com, you could do that and then listen to the episode. Or if you just want to listen to the episode and you don't care about the spoiler, then go ahead and do that. But I just want you to be fully aware of what you're getting yourself into. That for some films, it doesn't matter. if the, There are no spoilers, necessary, necessarily. With this film, there is. There is this moment that is that the film is building up to and that it reveals. And it makes everything that came before it make more sense. And so I just want you to know that. There will be spoilers. When I talk about a film, I want to go deeply into it. And I just want to talk about it freely. But um, to begin with, Unrelated is about a woman named Anna who goes on vacation to an italian villa with her friend <clears throat> verena but she calls her v throughout the film anna is in her 40s she we don't know her exact age but i would put her at 40 or above um and so is v and um at the villa uh v is there with her husband and her children and her cousin and his son so um Anna is going into sort of this family, you know, their own vacation in Italy and they have invited her there and she wants to go on a holiday because she's having issues in her marriage. And at the beginning of the film, we don't quite know throughout the film what has happened, but there is something wrong. There is something off and Anna is obviously going through something very emotional and difficult that she is trying to hide and she does hide. But that it's always sort of there on the surface. And so she goes to this Italian villa. She spends time with this family. And it's sort of divided between the adults, the parents, you know, and their children. The kids. I like to call them the kids. But they're sort of in their late teens. And um, there is this one boy named Oakley. And he's played by Tom Hiddleston. Who Tom Hiddleston now is this huge, huge star. But in 2007, he was not as well known, and he's actually in a lot of Joanna Hawks films. He recurs throughout her films, as an actor, and Anna sort of develops this flirtation with Oakley, who's in his late teens, I would say, or early twenties. Tom Hiddleston looks extremely young. It's sort of shocking to see how young he is in this film. There's the flirtation going on there, and like a sexual tension. And that's woven throughout the film. And really the film is building to this emotional reveal. This emotional catharsis that happens. And I'll talk more about that. And so this film is really about a woman sort of in crisis. A woman at this very emotional time in her life. A woman um, who's very lonely And I really think and the really the reason I'm talking about the film is because of so many reasons. I think it is a powerful film about a woman's experience, uh, a mature woman's experience, a woman in her 40s, a woman going through a crisis, a woman, um, the interiority of a woman, the feelings and emotions of a woman. Um, the heartbreak of a woman and also the loneliness that that women can experience for various reasons that I will talk more deeply about. So there's so much emotional depth to this film. It's a very, I would say, interior sort of film. Um, not a lot happens throughout the film, but there's an emotional center to it the entire time and that is conveyed through the actress katherine worth who plays anna and she gives this tremendous performance i think it's subtle um it's not very um loud or expressive it's just this subtle authentic beautiful performance that she gives but i wanted to share a bit about what joanna Hogg said about the film about how she wrote it, how she, how, sort of the genesis that I guess it took on, but um, in an interview with The Independent, um, when the film came out, she said, quote, In 2003, my father died, and I was trying for a family. I started to write unrelated as a channel for all my feelings of sadness and I wanted to make a film doing everything I was told not to do in television unquote. as I said she worked in television a bit and before she became a filmmaker and that part about hog trying to have a family is important because as I will explore more in depth the crisis for anna is that she can no longer have children she is going through menopause and she never had children. And so now she has to confront the reality that she will never have biological children. That her and her husband, his name is Alex, will not have, you know, that traditional family that they had envisioned for themselves. And um, But we're not told that at the beginning of the film. It comes much later on. And yet it It informs so much of the film once we learn that. Everything that happens makes sense. And and it's just a very important thing. She was asked about the process of writing unrelated and just her creative process in general. And I wanted to share it because I love hearing women directors talk about their work. I love hearing about women artists, women writers, women filmmakers talk about how they make their films, how they make their art, how they create. I find these women to be incredibly inspirational and fascinating. And so I just want to share some of her words. This is from an interview with camera um, with a K. It's 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 like a website camera. Quote, I begin with the desire to express something intensely felt, but this is not a precise chronology of events that happened in my life. It is an internal map rather than an external one. And the crucial thing for me is to depict that core of emotion in as clear and true a way as possible. So after this soul searching, the ideas gradually expand and my imagination starts to kick in. But throughout the writing process, my imagination is constantly challenged by a need to be emotionally true, unquote. And I think this is an important thing because I think Unrelated has an emotional component to it. And I think that emotion runs throughout the film. And I think that's what makes it such a lasting and powerful film for the viewer and for me personally. Like I said, I saw this film probably over a year ago. Um... And it stayed with me, and I knew that I wanted to talk about it, and that I wanted to explore Anna, this character that Hogg created, because Joanna Hogg wrote and directed this film. I don't know if I mentioned that. And something really unique, I think, about Hogg's Cinema, and in particular in this film Unrelated, are the static shots, or how her camera keeps its distance from the characters, um, it's it's pretty far away most of the time, and it's pretty static, sort of uh, a stationary camera in a lot of ways. And in that interview with camera, she talked about that, and she said, "quote I knew early on that I wanted the camera to be very still, but into this stillness, I wanted to throw a lot of life and chaos." That the two seemingly opposing styles would rub up against each other. And the frame could burst out beyond what you actually see. I wanted to encourage the audience to imagine what might be just around the perimeter of the frame. So I love that because I hadn't thought of it that way about the camera. You know, I'm really good at talking about themes and characters and things like that in a film, I'm not as good talking about the technical aspects of it because I don't have any experience with that. I've never picked up a film camera um, myself. I don't know the technical aspects of it. But um, but when she puts it into those kinds of words, it's very interesting and makes me think of the film in a in a deeper way of you know, when a director may, everything a director does has a meaning. You know, the shot that they set up, the way they set that shot up, whether they're doing a a close-up, whether they're doing a long shot, you know, they they purposely make these decisions. It's not accidental. It's not a mistake. And so I just love hearing, um, I love hearing directors talk about that process of why they did that and if you do watch the film you will or if you've seen it you will notice that it's a bit of a slower film and it is there is that distance that the camera has from the characters there are really no close-ups I would say I mean there is no close-up on people's faces um and the camera doesn't move a lot and it's far away from the characters but that is actually doing something you know there there is a point to that So as I said, um, now I'm going to talk about more about the film, talk about scenes and themes and things like that. That's just how I am. So Anna goes to this Italian villa. As I said before, this was a film shot in Tuscany. So it's set in Tuscany and she arrives at this Italian villa to see her friend Verena called V throughout the film. Um... And I guess they've been friends for many years and V has her family there and also her cousin is there with his son Oakley played by Tom Hiddleston. So immediately Anna is an outsider and this is where the title of the film comes from Unrelated because she goes into this Italian villa and everybody there is family. Everybody there is related in some way except her. She is not related to any of these characters. And um, and this will become more important as the film goes on. And as we find out that she can't have children. And um, so she goes on this holiday because she's having issues in her marriage. And from the outset, we don't know what they are. From time to time, she jogs and she will call her husband, Alex, and they will talk or they will fight. Um, and I think Hogg perhaps does this for a reason, probably to keep you watching. I wouldn't say there's a suspense in the film, but there is this desire on your part to know what is going on in Anna's life. What is this turmoil? What is this crisis that she's going through? Why did she... Go all the way to Italy to, and leave her husband and go on this holiday without him um We realize that she needs space, she needs to get away, and we're wondering the whole time, well, what is it you know what what is what is happening here and in some of the early scenes, um something is set up that recurs throughout the film, and this was something that struck me when I saw it for the first time was Anna in her bedroom. This is something that will recur throughout the film, and it's not something I had really ever thought about before. I don't know if another film has sort of so intimately incorporated a woman's bedroom into the narrative of the film, but that is very much a part of this film, as Anna in her bedroom in the villa alone, and there's such an intimacy um, in these scenes, and it made me think about sort of how vulnerable we are in our bedrooms. Um, whether we're sleeping or we're like, some people sleep naked, you know, they sleep in the nude or some people have their night clothes on, you know, their pajamas. Um, it's this very private space. It's this space where other people don't see us and where we can be our most private selves. Right. And, um, I don't know. I just loved these scenes of Anna in her bedroom and They recur throughout the film, especially after difficult experiences. And um, I'm someone, like, I feel very connected to my bedroom. Like, I'm always in my bedroom, you know, when I'm not living, you know, out in the world. Like, I am someone who I need alone time. I need to be alone. That is very important to me. I don't like being around a lot of people. I'm not a social person. Um, I like to be alone in my room. I like reading or watching films or writing or dreaming. You know, I'm, I'm a daydreamer. Um, and so I thought that, um, I thought that these bedroom scenes sort of conveyed a a kind of interiority of Anna. And, um, I think it also relates to Ozu, um, who often filmed inside homes, inside rooms, inside different domestic and interior spaces from the films of his that I've seen. And obviously the static camera, the stationary camera, also relates to Ozu. You know, that stationary camera that observes characters sort of from a distance. And so very few close-ups or none at all um, with unrelated. And so I think that's also why she gets compared a bit to Ozu as well. So Tom Hiddleston plays Oakley. And he is the son of Verena's cousin. And um, as I said, this was when Hiddleston was unknown. The Hiddleston was not famous at all. I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan of Tom Hiddleston. You know, other people just sort of go crazy over him. I don't necessarily feel that way. But I think he's a good actor. And I think he's good in this film. He's like a little... Ugh. He he's very arrogant as, as Oakley. Um, he has all that bravado and, and arrogance, um, that, you know, young teenage boys have. And he certainly captures that. And he has this mischievous sort of quality about him too. Sort of this gleam in his eye, like you never know what he's thinking. You never know what he's going to do next. Um, uh, he's just incredibly young and, From the offset of this film, there are two camps. There are the adults with Verena and her husband and Oakley's father. And Anna ostensibly should be part of that group. And then there are the kids. There are these people's children who are in their late teens. And those are sort of the two camps at this Italian villa. And Anna starts to break off from the adults and she spends a lot more time with the kids and as you're watching it you're just like why is she doing this it's very uh strange uh really and um <clears throat> but that is just immediately we see that there is this uh break between them and that she is going with the kids and um But for the most part, everything is very light and very shallow at this villa. You know, everybody drinks and they play party games and they lounge by the pool. And it's just your average sort of holiday, I guess you could say. But Anna's mood is very much in conflict with this setting. You know, all the people there are happy and carefree. Whereas Anna is apart. She's lonely. She's troubled by something. That remains unstated for much of the film. And that hangs over everything. And that hangs over her. And of course as you know. It's the fact that she can't have children. And that she has reached menopause. That is what she's struggling with. that That's her interior um, struggle. That she's going through. But of course we don't know that for much of the film. We don't know that till much later. So the whole time we're thinking... What is going on? Because she seems so sad. And um, you can feel Anna's loneliness. You can feel her sadness. Even though she obviously tries to cover it up. Um, And I think you can feel that loneliness in those bedroom scenes that I mentioned. The way that she lies in bed. The way she can sort of hear the antics of the kids outside. But she's always so separate from it and um her quietness is really set against the noise of these kids and so she's in her 40s but she starts to hang out with these kids and she seems so out of place with them and um but i think that she is in some ways wanting to feel younger possibly wanting to recapture her youth You know, when you don't know about the menopause thing, you just think, what is she doing? Why, you know, why is she hanging out with these kids who are really half her age? Um, But it takes on a poignancy when you find out what she's going through. You realize that she's like so many of us in that she is really trying to recapture her youth in some way. And that she just wants to sort of let go and feel free. And she doesn't want to sit around with the stuffy adults and talk about adult things. She wants to feel alive. She wants to, um, I think she wants to sort of escape herself. Escape her pain, you know. Uh, and so Anna starts this flirtation with Oakley. It just sort of it's just there all of a sudden between the two of them it's this sort of unspoken sexual tension and you feel it very strongly in one particular scene where the other kids leave the room they go off and do something and then she's just sitting there with oakley and there's just complete silence but you can feel this tension between them and um it's so moving her attraction to Oakley and the things that she does I mean because she's you know he's half her age and you know We don't know to what extent he is really interested in her or if he is playing with her or playing with her emotions or something like that or leading her on because the way Hiddleston plays Oakley, it is absolutely believable that he could be doing that. We don't trust this guy at all. He has that mischievous thing about him. He is not to be trusted, I assure you. But it's just there's something touching. Like there's this scene where she's at a, the dinner table. And she has her hair up in a ponytail. But then she takes it down. And she um, you can tell that she seems to be waiting for Oakley. You can tell that she is always aware of him at all times. And that she hopes that he notices her. And at one time he does sit by her. And I don't know there's just something very touching about her desire for him There's something very relatable about it, you know, that here is this woman in this sort of emotional crisis, feeling her age, you know, and we know what happens to women when they reach a certain age, don't we? That once a woman is not seen as attractive, that her value and her worth just sort of dissolve. You know, if you are a woman who is seen as attractive for much of your life, once you lose that, It can be very difficult, you know, and so here is a woman and, and Catherine Worth is beautiful, you know, um, she's fit, she's very attractive, um, but she, you know, she's not 20 years old. She can't compete, right, with these 20 year old girls that Oakley and his friends are involved with and attracted to, um, she has to confront her age and what her age means. And um, I think that's very difficult for her. But I think it's also a relatable thing. And honestly, I can't think of another film right now about a woman going through something like this. I mean, we don't even like to talk about periods and and menstruation in films, right? I mean, nobody talks about it. Nobody wants to talk about it we certainly don't talk about menopause or menopausal women or what that struggle might be for them and how it does represent this transition in your life from, you know, being able to bear children to not being able to bear children. And, you know, Anna is going through that. And I just can't remember another film that actually truthfully tried to represent that. And, how devastating that can be for some women who may have kept waiting, who maybe it was never the right time to have children for them. You know, and they kept waiting and they thought, oh, I'll do it. I'll do it eventually. And then all of a sudden they don't even have that choice anymore. That choice is taken away from them. And you can tell that that's very painful for Anna. And so I wonder if also she's starting to feel like she's not attractive anymore that, you know, that she's out to pasture as they say, you know, and of course, I think all of this is bullshit. You know, I don't think a woman's worth should be based on what she looks like. You know, I don't believe any of this. I don't believe your age should determine your worth as a person or as a woman. Um, But I'm saying that this is the cultural reality that women live with, that when they hit a certain age, you know, that, that it affects them. And I wonder if, through her flirtation with Oakley, she wants to feel attractive to someone. She wants to feel like she's still, you know, sexy or desirable, right? That her desire for Oakley is a desire for affirmation, you know, for validation, that she is still attractive and and, and worthy of sexual desire. So she spends all her time with these kids. They smoke pot. They do um really silly things, you know. And as I said, once we know that she's going through menopause, all of this makes so much more sense. You know, that this really is a way to lose herself to feel young again. Um she just doesn't want to be with the adults, you know. And also all these adults are parents you know, the adults are what she's not and can never be. She is the only adult there who is not a parent and doesn't have a child. So even being around the adults could be more painful because they're going to talk about their children. They're going to talk about their lives in that way. And she doesn't have that. And it may be a reminder, you know, and so that could also be why she is hanging out more with the kids. Um, And the sexual thing with Oakley, it gets stronger and stronger. Like, there's this scene where she goes skinny dipping. And she's like the last woman left in the pool. And all the teenage boys are still in the pool. And she basically gets out of the pool naked in front of them while they're oogling her and watching her. And um, she seems really uncomfortable about doing it. That she doesn't want to be seen naked in front of these boys. But... She kind of has to. She has to get out of the pool. But, um, but at the same time, we know that she is attracted to Oakley. And so it's also this moment of like furthering the sexual tension between them because now he has seen her naked. I mean, he, she's nude, you know, completely. And he sees her body that way. And it's, it's also an exposure. It's a very big exposure on her part. And, um, Throughout the film, Catherine Worth just does a tremendous job, I think, in conveying the layers of Anna. There is this way in which she carries sadness in her body and in her face. And you can feel that sadness throughout the entire film, even during the carefree moments, even when she is skinny dipping, you know, with the kids and smoking pot and you know, and getting drunk and dancing with them. And there's still just some kind of unspeakable sadness about her. And Anna is confronted about how much time she's spending with the kids. Verena called V. Um, she gets very upset and confronts Anna about it. And, um, But, and and I think V wants Anna to open up. She wants her, she knows something's wrong. She knows something's going on. But Anna is just not capable or not willing or able to talk about what's happening between her and Alex. To talk about the pain um, that she is going through. You know, I just don't think she's able to do it. And I think she needs to lose herself. She needs to dissolve herself into this place, you know. And I think this is a really good film about how a place can change us to some extent. It can intoxicate us. It can get us to do things that we wouldn't do in our normal lives. And this is really a recurring theme in a lot of other films that are set in Italy. Um a film like David Lane, um, his film Summertime, that stars Katherine Hepburn, which I've talked about on the podcast because I'm a huge fan of it. It's also about an older woman. I mean, Catherine Hepburn, I think, is older than Catherine, um Worth is in Unrelated, and she is a spinster. Um, I don't love to use that word, but she is an unmarried woman who goes to Italy and She's sort of destabilized by falling in love with a man, and um, she is sort of drunk on Italy as well, and and sort of transformed by Italy. There is, um, I think, Luca Guadagnino's *Call Me by Your Name* would fall into this as well. This idea of like Italy being this um, this other world, this more liberating, open space. Where people can be more libidinous, more hedonistic, more sensual. Um, and, And the summertime, and summer itself brings that out. I mean, not just Italy. But I think in the American imagination especially, Italy is a place of romance and sensuality. And so often when these characters go to Italy, they undergo sort of a transformation through their bodies, through their sensuality. You can even see it in Mike Newell's The Enchanted April," which is another film about four women who go to Italy and are really transformed by their experience of going there. I think certain places can sort of cast a spell on us, and I think that happens to Anna to a certain extent that this Italian villa or just being with being with these kids, especially it casts a spell over her. It intoxicates her and it allows her to find relief, I guess, from some of the pain that she was feeling at home with her husband, with feeling like she isn't going to have the life that she may have envisioned or to have the family that she may have envisioned. And there's this really sort of, I would say, heartbreaking moment a little bit or touching. Once again, so it's just such this, it's such a human moment where they go into town and Anna's by herself and she goes into this lingerie shop and she buys lingerie. um, And she's possibly preparing for a night with Oakley. She's, I think in her mind, she's thinking that this flirtation with Oakley is going to go somewhere that the two of them are going to end up together <clears throat> and i think he's leading her in that direction because they're they have this um conversation um where they're talking about all kinds of sort of very intimate things like infidelity marriage sex he's very straightforward about these things he says he doesn't believe in fidelity and he thinks sex is what really matters in marriage um and he asks anna why she and her husband don't have any children and she doesn't talk about it she doesn't really answer him and you know watching it the second time i thought all oh, that was supposed to sort of be a hint to us that something going on with her has has something to do with these children um and but it's also I think an indication of how her relationship with Oakley made her she got a certain impression from him I think the way he talked about sex the way he um tried to be intimate with her in that way I think that's why she thought it was going in a particular direction, which is why she bought that lingerie. And this film is so much about human dynamics, about the dynamics of desire, of unspoken desire, of desire conveyed through looks, through the eyes. It's not something that's easy, it's very subtle. You know, they never really touch in this film, Anna and Oakley. They never kiss. They never really make physical contact, and yet there is this sexual tension, this sexual desire that exists between the two of them, and that's obviously the acting of Catherine Worth and Tom Hiddleston that they were able to convey that desire without saying anything, really, with through their eyes and through these glances. And um, I think I think a lot of us have had those experiences in our life where we thought. Maybe this person is attracted to me, but you don't know for sure and you don't know how to act on it and so neither one acts on it, but you can sort of feel it in your body. And um, and that's there. It's there between the two of them. I personally am really compelled by films about desire. Like, I talked about it on Call Me By Your Name. I love that film. It's such a film about desire and sensuality. And so I think unrelated... I really would recommend Unrelated if you like Call Me By Your Name. They're two very different films. They're doing very different things. They're centering very different experiences and subjectivities. You know, Unrelated is about an older woman and her crisis, her emotional crisis, but they do share that that setting of Italy, that setting of the summertime. They both have desire in them so there are things that sort of bind them together and that when I saw Call Me By Your Name I wanted to rewatch Unrelated like for me they have some kind of connection to each other for me or they bring up each other when I think about them so I would definitely recommend Unrelated you know if you really like call me by your name but later that evening, after that really intimate discussion with Oakley, um, the kids, along with Anna, who's in the vehicle, they crash. They crash really bad. Basically, the vehicle looks totaled. And it's they were probably under some kind of influence of a substance. We don't know what exactly, but these kids have been smoking pot. They've been getting drunk. It's very likely. Everyone is shaken by it. And they walk back to the villa. But they do not tell the adults the full story about what happened. Um, And that vehicle didn't even belong to them. That vehicle was borrowed from somebody else. So this becomes a really big deal later on in the film. And another very important scene is between Anna and Oakley. So another night they go out on the town... Anna is with the kids again. They get drunk. They're running around. They're being fools. I can't stress to you how foolish these kids are. And how Anna looks just so crazy trying to hang out with them. Um, It's like I get why she's doing it. But it's like, why are you doing this? You are running around. But, you know, all of us want to like recapture our youth, I guess. Um, But they go back to the villa. And Anna invites Oakley to her room. I mean, she doesn't say, let's go have sex. She just says, you know, if you'd like to come to my room, um, you can. And so he's, so she's inviting him into this very private space, you know, the bedroom where we've seen her for a lot of the film, you know, um, alone. And this is her private space. And so I think it's a very big, and she's married, you know, that can't be forgotten either. This is a very big deal, what she's doing. This is a big risk that she's taking to possibly be unfaithful to her husband. And to invite this man, this young boy, really, I mean, he's in his late teens. But um, to invite this young man into her, like, inner sanctum of her bedroom. And he says, better not he says that he better not and he kisses her on the cheek and he leaves and her face says everything i mean oh god this scene just broke my heart into a million pieces she looks so heartbroken by this rejection and every nuance of that heartbreak registers on her face And I think in that moment, the spell of Italy is just completely broken. She goes into her room alone. She lies in bed naked. And she's sort of staring at the ceiling. I mean, I think you can tell she's just, you know, stupefied by it. She's just so, so heartbroken. And I think this is when she starts to realize that she is different from these kids, that they do not see her the way they see each other that she's not really part of the group that she does not really belong and like later on she watches him flirt with another girl like on another evening and you can tell how pissed she is while she you know watches him do that and um she says something really interesting when she goes on one of her jogs and she calls her husband Alex And she says, and I think this really explains a lot, and I think it sums up a lot of, you know, why she was spending so much time with the kids. And she says that it's nice to lose herself in all these people. And we can feel again that something is very wrong, even though we don't know what up to that point. And and it reminded me too of, you know, her desire for escape, her desire for like you know to get away from the from her, the drudgery of her everyday life and to feel something else and to just lose herself it reminded me of how a vacation is really sort of the suspension of real life you know throughout this film these people they're lying around they're playing games and obviously they're the they're the bourgeoisie so they can afford to to do this a lot of people can't afford to go on vacation, and they certainly can't afford to go to an Italian villa. You know, my parents were working class. We never went on vacation. Ever. Like, I didn't go on vacations. I had maybe a few experiences of it. I I went to, like, the lake a few times on, during the summer. My grandparents had a house at, at a lake. Um, that we would go to. But I wasn't one of these people that went to Hawaii as a kid, or went to Disney World, or, you know, I really didn't have traditional vacations. We were working class, we struggled financially a lot. You know, it just wasn't really an option for us. So Obviously, this is about people who can afford these kinds of vacations. They can afford to go to another country, to go to Italy. I've never been to Italy in my life. I've never been out of the United States. I don't have money for that. (laughs) You know, um, that's not part of my reality. But, um... So that's probably why I like films like this so much is that for me, it's like a vicarious experience. Oh, I can watch these people with money go to Italy and uh, have a transformation or fall in love. So it's a bit of vicarious living through some of these films. But, um, you know, when you do get a vacation or you get a few days off, you know, it can be the suspension of real life. And in this film, you really feel the laziness of summer, the sensuality that it brings to the surface, you know. So Anna tells V about the crash. And um, everything, this is like a nuclear bomb going off in this family. It triggers a major confrontation between the adults and the kids. They, those kids get in major trouble for what they've done. The fact that they crashed the car, crashed the vehicle, didn't tell them about it, and just a lot of things. Oakley's father, in particular, is brutal and almost physically violent. Um, we don't see it, we only hear the screaming, we hear the yelling between Oakley and his father, and um. In this film, these kids seem really alienated from their parents. I wouldn't say that this is like an affectionate family. You know, I grew up, I was really affectionate with my parents. We were always telling each other how much we loved each other, always hugging and kissing. And I grew up in a really affectionate, loving family, I don't get that sense from this film with these kids and their parents. You know, I don't get that sense of like love and affection. Um there seems to be this distance between them. Um but especially between Oakley and his father, you know. Um Oak, like his father calls him a disgrace and all. Like his father seems to have this disdain and almost this disgust for Oakley. And it, it comes off really powerfully in the film. And um, you know, I don't know how great these people are at parenting these kids, really, you know. But um, it's just this big blowout, you know, this big explosion uh, of anger and hostility and and all of that. And of course Anna is cast out, you know, these kids hate her <laughs> because she told on them and um She doesn't belong with the parents, the adults, but now she doesn't belong with the kids either. So she really is just a complete outsider at this point. And I think partly why she told V about the crash is because Oakley rejected her. I think she felt hurt by it and I think that she may have lashed out subconsciously. She may not even think that that's why she did it, you know. But she was obviously hurt by his rejection of her. And of course, now they hate her, you know, because of what she did. But, you know, despite this argument, they are still a family. They are all still related. And from the beginning, Anna has been an outsider. She's really been a disruptor to some extent. Um,. And I also think that this family, made of parents and children, they're also a very painful reminder of the family she can't have and the children that she will never give birth to. And, um, and after this point, she has to hang out with the adults. She's not with the kids anymore. Um, but she doesn't, I don't think she feels like she belongs in either camp. And I think she knows that she does not And, um, you know, I got to thinking, you know, um, how this film fits in with films about Italy. You know, that most films really romanticize Italy and things like that. But I got to thinking that I don't think Hogg particularly romanticizes Italy in this film Like, near the end, there's, like, this field of dead-looking sunflowers. Um, We don't see a whole lot of the landscape in this film. Um, It's not like a travel brochure for Tuscany. You know, that's not what this film is. It's not about showing the resplendent beauty of of the Italian countryside. Um, It doesn't capture that the way, say, Call Me By Your Name does. Or under the Tuscan sun, even. We don't see a lot of the landscape at all. I think that Hogg is much more interested in the the characters. In the interiority of those characters. And also the physical interiors of the villa. You know, it just doesn't have that sun-soaked beauty of a call-me-by-your-name. And Anna doesn't have a romance. She isn't transformed by her holiday, you know i don't think she comes out of it transformed but i do think that the vacation gave her the time and space to deal with what she was going through or to start to deal with it and i think i think she feels more alone i think she was running away from the problem you know she ran away she thought if i go to italy and i do this and i lose myself i won't have to think about it but i think she realized she was even more alone that away from her husband that's not the way to deal with it. That, that perhaps the way that they get through it is through, is together, you know. But I don't want to say that her going to Italy didn't do anything at all. You know, I don't think she's transformed, but I do think that it gave her some time and some space to think through things. And obviously, it was a good thing that Oakley rejected her, you know, because she may have made a decision that she would regret. That would have alienated her from her husband or possibly destroyed her marriage. So maybe in that situation, Oakley was actually the adult, you know, maybe he was the smart one to to say, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to cross that line, you know. But she's cast out and so she goes to a hotel. It's very depressing looking. But she doesn't feel like she belongs there anymore. You know, she has disrupted things through telling the adults, you know, the kids have turned on her and she can't relate to the adults. And so she goes to a hotel and she leaves the villa. Now, this is a very important scene. This is a scene that makes everything come together. And it's one of the most powerful scenes, I think, that I've ever watched. And watching it again for the podcast, it made me cry. I was just, uh, like, crying so much when this scene came up. And so, Verena comes and to see Anna at the hotel. And she wants to know what is wrong. She desperately wants to know. And um, it's very interesting what happens with the camera in this scene, too. Um, But just as the camera for much of the film has been distant from the characters, there's been this distance, I would say that the characters themselves are also distant from each other. But that distance is bridged in this scene. Because now Anna and Verena, V, is what they call her, Anna and V sit on the bed at the hotel, so they're closer physically. There is now this intimacy. And there is now real talking, not just chit chat. I can't overemphasize how much of this film the characters are just floating on the surface. They are skimming the surface. And the only time any kind of real emotion or feeling or truth comes out are in very emotional moments like the fight. The fight between the parents and the kids, that's when people actually say something. Because the whole film, it's just pleasantries and platitudes, and chit chat and small talk. And it's like, nobody's really talking. Nobody's really saying anything. Nobody is, you know, it's just nothing. There's no real depth or substance to the interaction between these characters because they are so disconnected from each other and they are so distant from each other and so it is extraordinary when V is on the bed with Anna you know and she is actually physically there and they're not chit chatting anymore they are really talking about something and so Anna opens up she starts crying And it's like this raw sobbing that seems to emerge from the deepest part of her body and soul. It's just this uncontrollable sobbing. And V actually comes over and holds Anna. There is finally this meaningful touch. This meaningful contact. Because V has known the entire trip that something is wrong. And so Anna explains that she thought she was pregnant. But when she went to the doctor, she discovered that she wasn't pregnant. She was going through menopause and that she won't be able to have children. And she's devastated by this. And she says, quote, I'm not young, am I? Unquote. She's realizing, you know, what has happened, you know, that she's going through this thing. And this is real and she won't be able to have children. She doesn't even get the choice anymore. Up to that point, she had a choice. And now she doesn't. So menopause is obviously, you know, a difficult experience. It is a reminder that youth is gone. She feels a lot of regret for not having children when she had the chance. She says that, she says to Verena, you know, you have a family, you belong somewhere, While um, she, Anna, will always be, quote, on the periphery of things, unquote. And that is where she's been the whole time in the film. In relation to this family. She has been on the periphery. You know, she's been on the outside. She's been separate from them. um, Because they are a family unit. And families have a special relationship to each other. That when you are an outsider... You can never fully understand it. You can never fully penetrate it. You are always on the outside looking in, you know. Um. There's just such a power about this scene. It's, it's the power of speaking something so painful out loud and to someone else. You know, there's a huge amount of vulnerability in this scene of Anna ripping her heart out and saying what her pain is and why she's so sad and why she's so devastated. And what's beautiful is that V is there for her, you know, and V lets her cry and sob and she holds her and she puts her arms around her and she tries to comfort her. And so it's this powerful moment, not just of articulating devastation but of being um comforted and um loved by another person you know feeling like you can open up and you can be raw and you can be undone in front of another person and you can be vulnerable in that way and they will just hold you and they will be there for you and um I don't think all of us have people like that in our lives. I don't think all of us feel that level of connection, you know. And so that's what I think this scene is, you know. it's Even though her and V had been sort of obviously distant throughout the film, you can tell that they do care about each other. And I think Anna needed to say this. She needed to share it with someone. She needed to tell somebody what was going on. And it brings her a catharsis. And I think it brings catharsis to the viewer too. And it was very cathartic for me. But as I said, I got emotional. I was crying. And this scene is really why I wanted to talk about the film. You know, is because I don't see scenes like this every day. I mean, it has stayed with me ever since I saw the film. How powerful it was. The way that she just broke down. You know, and, and Verena held her... And it's just, it's one of those scenes, you know, I I don't know what else to say about it, but I did want to talk about it. And, um, she goes back to the villa and they welcome her there. And I think there is this unspoken forgiveness that takes place. And, um, when the family is leaving the villa, um, they all hug her. And, um, even Oakley, and so I think that's sort of a a subtle um you know forgiveness there, you know that even though she told and you know she did all that 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 everything is okay, I mean that's the sense that you get at the end um so, I don't think this holiday fixed the issue. You know, she has this scene where she's crying on the phone to Alex, and you know that they're both hurting, and I don't think the holiday fixed the issue, but I think it gave her a chance to come to terms with this new reality. Um, And maybe she needed this time to herself. She needed this time to be alone, you know, to be in another place, to experience different things in order for her to come back to Alex or to go back to Alex to go back to her life um she stays a bit longer at the villa than the family does they leave they say their goodbyes to her and then she's riding to the airport she's in the car on the way to the airport and she's on the phone with Alex again cuz they've been talking throughout the film and she's laughing and she's smiling and there is actually a sense that perhaps things will be okay, you know, that perhaps this distance has actually brought them closer together, that by going away for a little while, she's able to go back and to return and to try to face, you know, this new reality and and what has happened, you know, and, and it's irreversible, you know, it cannot be changed. It can only be confronted and coped with in some way. But it doesn't make the devastation any less painful or difficult. Um, But I love, I just love this film. And um, I wanted to talk about it. I think it's um, a powerful debut feature film, you know, Um, a powerful first film for someone to create. Um, where Hogg is breaking a lot of the rules, as she said in that interview, she made a film that she wanted to make with the kind of emotion that she wanted to have in it, and she focused on a woman in her forties, she focused on a woman going through menopause, you know she focused on a film about emotion and sadness and loneliness um that's what she wanted to do, and that's the film that she wanted to make, and she didn't compromise and I think that's important, you know, I really do this film I still think it's a it's a powerful portrait of loneliness I mean for me that's that's that is the emotional part of it that I connect to is that sense of loneliness, that sense of sadness, that sense of devastation. I don't think you have to be going through menopause to Um, connect to Anna and to connect to what she's going through and how she's struggling and she's just such a human character and Catherine Worth's performance is incredibly subtle but very nuanced and very authentic and very believable and um, she, she does a tremendous job at showing the interiority of this character and her struggles and and what she's going through and um there's just such an emotional impact about this film it leaves a very deep impression I mean it's I I watch a lot of films I don't think about every film that I watch for months afterwards but I was always thinking about unrelated like, I still think about it. And watching it for a second time, I still loved it. And um, you know, other people may not get that sense about it. You know, they may watch it and they don't like it and or whatever. But for me, there was um, something just profoundly moving about it, and it stayed with me, and, and it's still with me, and that's why I had to talk about it, that's why it was on my very long list of films that I want to talk about on this podcast, and um, I just, I think films like this are important, films about women, films about women in their 40s, older women, you know, even when we get films about women it tends to be teenagers or girls in their 20s and you know i'm in my 20s but i want to see i want to see a fuller fuller representation of of women you know i don't want to just see stories about teenagers and girls in their 20s i want to see films about older women mature you know women going through different experiences and um this film is just unapologetically um focused on a woman's life and a woman's struggle and um I love it I just love this film I hope that you'll watch it or I hope that you watched it first and then listen to this episode it's not a film that a lot of people know about I, I mean I just happened to come across it you know I just did. I, I knew about Joanna Hogg and I thought, well, this looks interesting. I like films set in Italy. I'll give it a chance and look at me now. You know, I'm so deeply in love with it and I'm so glad I got to talk about it. So I hope you liked this episode. I'm glad that I'm back. I, I'm i sorry that I left you for a whole week. I hope that you survived it. <laughs> um, but I'm glad to be back and talking about films and um, it just makes me so happy. Thank you for listening to this whole episode. I appreciate it so much. Until next time, keep watching great films. Bye for now.